setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Hey there, Cannabis Radio listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Burning Issues, where we burn away the cannabis myths with science. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, professor of psychology at SUNY Albany, jocular clinician at Health Psychology Associates, and internationally known cannabis researcher. I've got over 150 publications on marijuana and the addictions. I also pen the Ask Dr. Mitch column for high times. But hey, enough about me. Today, I'm completely thrilled to introduce our special guest, Dan Veets. Dan's whole life has been devoted to justice. He's done his legalization year in and year out, often starting before many of our listeners were still in diapers. He served on the Normals National Board. He's signed a check to them nearly every month that I can recall. And he's got a law firm that really devotes a lot of time, energy, and resources to changing cannabis laws all over the world. Dan is a member of the Missouri Bar Association and the National Association of Criminal Office Offense Lawyers. He's also director of the Mid-Missouri ACLU and the state director of Missouri Normal. I got to add, Dan is also the voice behind the radio talk show Sex, Drugs, and Civil Liberties. It broadcasts from and 89.5 FM in Columbia. In his show, Dan discusses civil liberties in America with a focus on the war on drugs. And Professor Michael Goldschmidt of Mizzou describes it as the best talk radio show on earth. <laughs> I should also add, he's a great guy to walk around with whether you've got cannabis or not, and he's got a great interesting sights to see. In one of the most heartbreaking and heartwarming stories I've ever heard, Dan also helped to get a Missouri man released after he was sentenced to life in prison for a marijuana offense. Welcome to Burning Issues, Dan Veets. Thank you, Mitch, very much. You're very kind. So many hearty thanks for all your work there in Missouri. Nobody thinks of Missouri as a place where uh, we're really at the forefront of the of the cannabis prohibition fights. As I understand it, decriminalization is going to kick in there starting January 1st, 2017. Well, that's an interesting discussion. I think you now it, it, it depends on your definition, like so many things in life, but, but it depends on how you define decriminalization. I don't call it that, although I know MPP and some other, some other folks do. Um, I think it's, that's an overstatement. What will happen is a comprehensive revision of the Missouri criminal code between the criminal laws in the state of Missouri. I was privileged to serve on a Missouri bar committee that helped to draft vision of the, of the statutes. And although we weren't supposed to make substantive changes, we were just supposed to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic, as it were. Uh, we did manage to sneak in some, some actual substantive changes. And one of those which I was there by the legislative process and was part of the bill that ultimately was signed by our governor and goes into effect, as you pointed out, in January of next year. Um, 
one of those changes is to eliminate the possibility of jail for first offense possession under 10 grams only. And that's that's an important step in the right direction. But arrested, ironically, you can't go to jail for the offense, but you might go to jail while your offense is pending, while your case is pending. And it also technically still is a criminal offense, so it still leaves one with a criminal conviction record if one receives a conviction. So in my mind, and I think traditionally, the definition of decriminalization is no arrest, no jail, and no criminal conviction record. And we're only really accomplishing one of those three things. It's an important step in the right direction, however, and I'm quibbling here. Um, We'll also have several other important changes that take place on the 1st of January as a result of the work of that bar committee. And one of those is to reduce the penalties for cultivation of marijuana by one-third. You know, it, it ought to be down to zero, but at least it's it's a substantial reduction down from 15 to 10 years as a maximum for uh, sales of marijuana in, you know, typical amounts. Uh, it will also reduce the range of for cultivation of marijuana. Um, and again, you know, we're talking not about warehouse type uh, grows, but uh, anything that, that most people would, would have, I think it's up to at least 100 or maybe 300 plants, it'll, it'll be reduced by one. The most important change for cannabis consumers, I think, um, is that we will eliminate, repeal and eliminate that horrible law that's called the Prior and Persistent Drug Offender Law, the law under which Jeff Mazansky was sentenced. And you, you made reference to Jeff's case. He was the poster child for uh, repeal of this law, although his case really had not been publicized when, when we managed to get this repeal incorporated into that bill. But his case is certainly an example of why it needed to be repealed. That law said that if you had two prior felony convictions for drugs and you know, keep in mind, it doesn't take much. I mean, passing a joint can be felony distribution. Sprouting a seed is felony cultivation. But if you had two prior felony drug offenses, uh, your third one, you could be charged as a, quote, prior and persistent drug offender, meaning that you face 10 to 30 years or life in prison without the possibility of either probation or parole on that sentence. So I represent a lot of people who are in that situation. Right now, I have clients who are still facing that horrible range of punishment. And, and typically what happens is the prosecutor will say, well, you know, we'll reduce this offense down to where you might one day get probation or parole. And defendants, of course, are very intimidated by the fact that awesome power, like in the federal system, typically, um, the prosecutor really controls the situation when you can threaten life without parole in prison. Uh, but that will be repealed. That horrible law will be repealed as of January 1. I know it can't be easy working there. I grew up in St. Louis myself and felt like the, yeah. the attitude was, was pretty rough. What would you like well, you to know, see? As, go ahead. Well, it's gotten better, I was going to say. It's gotten better here and, and everywhere. Gallup poll that just came out recently showing a record 60% of Americans across the country now favoring legalization. It may not be, quite be up to 60 in Missouri, but we're pretty sure it's 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 at or above 50. So, you know, we're hoping and planning in the not-too-distant future to try to transform that shift in public opinion into political change, into, into uh, actual actual legalization. Now, what we had been 
attempting to do, and, and we fell heartbreakingly short uh, by 23 signatures in one congressional district. Uh, our our petitioning firm failed to gather sufficient signatures to put medical marijuana, marijuana on the ballot here on November the 8th. So Missouri uh, was not among those states, unfortunately, voting this year. But we I think I can say that, that there is a broad consensus among activists who worked on that campaign that we will come back in two years, in 2018, uh, and have a medical marijuana measure on the ballot here, um, and it will certainly pass. Uh, the voters of Missouri will certainly endorse it. I've got a lot of to growing up there, and I'm just curious, what would you put in the Show Me State? Number one, patient cultivation. I think that any bill any initiative or any legislative bill that does not allow patients and their caregivers to cultivate for themselves is transparently a money grab, is an attempt to make a few rich people richer. And frankly, we have had bills of that nature filed here in Missouri. And although Normal did not actively oppose them, we may actively oppose them in the future. Um, There's no reason why patients and their caregivers should not have the option to cultivate for themselves. And as I say, any bill that prohibits that uh, is really just an attempt to to profiteer, to force patients to pay inflated prices and to limit competition. You know, Mitch, one of the things that strikes me about this this uh, issue and, and the, the very active dynamic across the country right now is that we see a lot of people who want to go into the marijuana trade and, and they call themselves entrepreneurs. They, they think they are capitalists. They think they are uh, business people, but, but you know, there's this twisted notion in this country that the government should subsidize business. And, and we see it with utilities. We see it with uh, all kinds of industries. And unfortunately, some people in the marijuana industry or hope to be in the marijuana industry think that the government should give them some kind of a monopoly. And that is ridiculous and outrageous. Uh, and, I, you know, I hate to see uh, those kinds of bills being passed, bills that are designed to make a few rich people richer. You know, we've had rich people come into Missouri and – spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on lobbyists who promised them that they could get a bill through that would not allow patients to grow for themselves and would give those uh, proponents a virtual monopoly on the cultivation and the sale of medical cannabis. And, and you know, those, those bills do not deserve to pass. It's, it's not medical marijuana at any cost. We should reject any bill that does not allow for patient cultivation and demand nothing less. It's delightful to hear Dan Veets arguing yet again for the free market. Hey, we do have to take a break here. As my cannabis radio brother, Vivian McPeak, often says, we've got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. We'll be right back with Dan Veets of the Normal Board. Thanks so much for listening to Burning Issues. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick. 
the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues. Only on cannabisradio.com. And we're back with Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine, your host, and we're talking to Dan Veets of the Normal Board and Show Me Cannabis, a big fan of the work you've done in Missouri, Dan. It's literally been decades now that you've been essentially battling prohibition. Do you have any tips for folks on how to keep such a good attitude, how to keep fighting? Well, for me, uh, since I became a marijuana lawyer, uh, my clients keep me motivated of representing people who are good people, who certainly don't deserve to be prosecuted at all. Uh, And many of my clients have no prior criminal history, or if they have any, it's for marijuana. And and, and most of my clients are people who have uh, never harmed anyone in their lives, just like Jeff Mazansky had never harmed anyone in his life, never been other than, than very small marijuana offenses. And uh, so the fact is that I uh, have the great privilege of representing some very fine people me every day when I'm in court with them that they don't deserve to be prosecuted and I should be doing something better with my time than people and protect them from the government. You know, the government that we all pay for, that we all fund, that we all create and supposed to serve us is actually the biggest threat to cannabis consumers, to their lives and their happiness. And, and that's, that's just a twisted situation that needs to be straightened out. And of course it is being straightened out and things are changing quickly. And by the time many of your listeners hear this interview, I, uh, fully expect that at least four and maybe five states will have legalized cannabis on the 8th of November, and that'll give us a total of eight or nine states plus Washington, D.C., that have uh, actually legalized the consumption, the cultivation, and the regulated uh, distribution and sales of cannabis to, to adult consumers. And it can't come too soon. And of course, in many states, we're still fighting for medical marijuana. And I hope that uh, we'll know uh, shortly that both Florida and Arkansas have succeeded in, in joining those states which have legalized medical cannabis. And of course, both of those states are very important uh, geographically and politically, in part because they are part of, of the old South, the old Confederate states. None of the old Confederate states uh, had legalized medical cannabis before the 8th of November of this year. But in particular, uh, when Florida does so or did so, uh, I think that's a very important signal to politicians and to uh, those who, who watch the political scene in this country. Florida is a, is a very important state in many ways and uh, certainly uh, will 
indicate to politicians who are smart enough to to uh, understand which way the wind blows uh, that it's time to get on board. You know, people, politicians in particular, who still insist that we need to put cannabis consumers in prison, uh, those politicians need to be kicked out of office just as soon as possible. And they need to be reminded in the future that they took this position and that we have long memories that we don't we don't forget about the people that tried to put us in prison uh, when they had the opportunity to do so. Uh, but things are changing quickly. Things are getting better already. Um, I, uh, I think it's, I know it's the most exciting and satisfying time, at least in the last 45 years, to be involved with this issue. Well, you know, you do bring up a scary thought, and, and I'm curious about your impressions and recommendations for folks if they do happen to get, say, pulled over by law enforcement, given that yes. prohibition is still pretty rampant. Could you give us some coaching about yes. that? Yes, I'm happy to, and I, and I, 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 you're exactly right that there will continue to be arrests for marijuana even after legalization. There are still way too many, uh, and even states taking place because if you don't follow the rules, if you don't comply with all the regulations, if you, for instance, cultivate cannabis but you don't do it under the state law, you're still committing a serious crime. So some of the things I point out to folks when I talk about, you know. How when you're dealing with the police, you already know your most important rights in the context of dealing with police. And those are the rights you hear on every cop show and a lot of movies. Um, you know, the Miranda warning. People don't think about what the Miranda warning really means. It was a miraculous thing when the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 1964 in Miranda v. Arizona that indeed a defendant has a constitutional right to be told what his or her constitutional rights are before that person is interrogated if he's, if he or she is in custody. So the cops know how the game's played. They don't have to read your Miranda rights to you every time you get arrested. They have to read them to you only after you've been arrested and only then if they're going to question you after you've been arrested about your alleged offense. Well, the cops just question you first, then they arrest you. And then they don't even have to read your Miranda rights to you. So it's important to keep in mind what those rights are. You know, people coming into my office and say, hey, I got arrested last week, but the cop didn't read my rights to me. So you can get that dismissed, right? Well, probably not. Because I say to them, well, what rights are you talking about? And they'll say, well, you know, the right to remain silent. I say, ah, so you knew you had the right to be silent. Were you silent? No, I wasn't silent. I told that cop I know my rights and uh, pot ought to be legal and I'm not going to put up with this. And yes, that's all the marijuana there is in the car and, you know, on and on. And, and, and people just don't seem to realize how utterly important it is not to talk to the police. Do not talk to the police. I don't know how to put that more succinctly. Um, if you're stopped... Uh, in a traffic stop situation, you, of course, you have to show your license, and innocent questions might be, you know, okay to answer. But when a cop starts saying, first off, if he says, can I search, your answer is no. No, stick with no. You cannot. I do not give you permission to search. Sometimes they'll put it in a, in a confusing manner. They'll say, well, you don't mind if I search, do you? And then if you say no, if they take it to me, no, I, you don't mind. So you've got to be clear what you're saying. No, I do not want you to search. No, I do not give your permission to search because that's very important. P many people don't realize they're being asked for permission. They think that uh, they're just going along with what the cop is telling them to do. And indeed, cops will typically say, uh, would you step out of the vehicle, please? And you know that's an order, even though it's 
phrased as a request. And they'll say, may I see your license, please? And you know that's an order, even though they're phrasing it as a request. And then when they say, and may I search your vehicle, please? Many people assume that too is an order. There's no way for people to know what is an order and what is a true request. But the cop will claim that, no, that wasn't an order. That was a request. But, you know, back when I said, yeah, step out of the car, that was an order. And I say to the cop on the stand, and how is my client to know the difference? And he just shrugs. You've got to know the difference. You've got to never give permission for a search. Don't talk. And when a cop tries to question you, tries to say things like, you know, where are you going? Where have you been? Uh, where'd you get this pot from? You got any pot in the vehicle? You know, things like that that are clearly intended to go beyond the routine of a traffic stop, the legitimate purpose of a traffic stop. You've got to know at that point to say, look, I want to talk to a lawyer. That's the only thing you should say to a cop who's trying to question you about marijuana is I want to talk to a lawyer because every cop in America knows that he or she is supposed to stop asking you questions when you ask for a lawyer. Now, the other the other points I often make to folks in this situation are that bond is not set in stone. If you do get arrested and you've got a hundred thousand dollar bond, for God's sake, don't call the next, the nearest bondsman and agree to pay him $10,000. At least in Missouri, that's how it works. You pay 10% of the total bond amount to the bonding agent. And the only thing the agent does from that point forward is chase you down and drag you back to court. If you fail to show up, bonds can be reduced. Call a lawyer first. Don't make a deal with a bondsman until you've at least asked the lawyer if he might be able to get that bond reduced. And keep in mind, too, one of the tactics that's used here, and I know in many other states across the country, is the so-called ruse drug checkpoint. In other words, one may see a sign on the highway, usually a little temporary sign that says drug checkpoint ahead. And then you'll see a sign that says drug sniffing dog on duty. And then there'll be an exit. And you'll think what fools these police are. They've allowed me to take this exit and escape from this drug checkpoint, but that's exactly what they want you to do. The drug checkpoint is not ahead. It is at the next exit. Never take the exit when you see a sign that says drug checkpoint. Just keep driving and you'll never see the cops. But that's, you know, that's not easy to do. And you've got to think about that in advance and you've got to not panic. You've got to resist that urge to take that exit and you'll be fine. Just don't speed, signal all your lane changes and turns, obey the law, uh, and you'll be fine. So, uh, and most often, and most importantly, don't litter. Don't throw anything out of your vehicle. They will enforce the littering laws at that point. <laughs> You're under surveillance when you see those signs. Now, another point that folks are not always aware of is that uh, your trash is fair game for the cops. If you put anything in the trash, and you put that trash out to be picked up by the garbage man, That the police can go through that trash. They don't need a search warrant. The courts have held that you have abandoned that property, that you no longer have a privacy expectation of privacy in that garbage, and therefore the cops can go through it. Now, nobody throws away, you know, intentionally throws away marijuana, but if you have empty baggies that smell like pot, that may contain a residue of pot, if you throw away uh, empty packets of, of zigzag rolling papers, if, you, if your high time subscription card you know, is in that trash, if there's anything in a trash that might, to a drug dog's nose, smell like marijuana, you, know, you are inviting those cops to get a search warrant and come in and ransack your personal possessions. So never put anything in the trash that might smell like or look like anything associated uh, with marijuana. 
That's such great advice. Hey, we're really getting a free legal lesson here from Dan Beats of Missouri. I can't thank you enough. We're going to have to do this again sometime. I, I feel like at least the, make sure you stay silent. Do never never consent to a, a search and buy is a, is a definitely great and really novel. So, hey, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Stay tuned for Self-Compassion and the Art of Activism, the next part of our show. But my hearty thanks to Dan Veets of National Normal and Show Me Cannabis. Thank you, Mitch, very much. Have a great day. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Mindful of sustainable practices and limiting their environmental footprint, Sansal hemp is always grown outdoors, as nature intended. By starting with uniform genetic profiles, Sansal ensures the plant will maintain its optimal performance and yield consistently throughout its life cycle. It is through innovative processes that Sansal is able to achieve pure whole hemp extracts and meet industry requirements and the level of quality desired by many of their customers. Healthy plants, healthy people. SansalCBD.com. Improve your lifestyle naturally. Play is Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted, available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town, maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues. Only on CannabisRadio.com Hey, Cannabis Radio listeners, welcome back to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine with our next chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. Here's the part of our show that encourages all our listeners to take good care of themselves and each other. Hey, it's how the Burning Issues team helps support the Cannabis Crusade. So, I got some emails recently about controlling emotions I felt like these were worthy of comment. The truth is, controlling emotions is kind of a scam. The whole idea that we can control our thoughts and our feelings is actually a little nutty. Let me explain why. I think, especially here in the Western world, we have what Russ Harris calls the happiness trap. And check out his book of that same name to get more details. But the happiness trap is the idea that everybody else is happy all the time, and we're not. It's easy to assume that just because we get in a bad mood, there must be something completely wrong with us, and we're the only ones. Well, it's just not so. Bad moods come and go. Hell, they're just like the weather. If you think about the way our minds evolved, it kind of makes sense. Our minds didn't evolve to make us happy all the time. They did evolve to keep us alive. 
As you can imagine, those who assessed their environments accurately and occasionally got anxious, especially in the presence of real danger, or got sad in the presence of real loss, well, those folks survived, and they passed those traits on to their kids, and so on and so on. In fact, anybody who actually was happy in spite of danger or in spite of loss probably ended up getting eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. So it's really not adaptive to be happy every single minute. And our moods are really providing us with valuable information. I think, in a sense, there's even more to it than that. It's not just moods or information. Somehow, when you read the tabloids or you think that famous people must be blissed out 24-7, that's the real scam. Then we feel bad when... We not only feel bad, we feel bad about feeling bad. Now, of course, that just makes things worse, and everything spirals downwards. It's bad enough to feel bad, and there's nothing wrong with feeling bad. But we probably don't need to make it worse by feeling bad about feeling bad on top of feeling bad in the first place. Hell, feeling bad is bad enough. So what can we do? First off... Let's just let ourselves off the hook when we're in a bad mood. I know the temptation is strong to try to dispute all your ideas or drive yourself nuts in an effort to feel good 24-7, but that's just a scam too. Maybe the best idea is to remember that feeling bad is not a disaster. We all feel bad sometimes. I think that deep down we know this has got to be true. We know that everybody feels bad once in a while, but somehow we don't let it be okay for us. Sad, mad, afraid, disgusted, surprised. Hey, they're just feelings. Instead of making them a disaster and trying to change them, why not just feel them? Let how you really feel be how you really feel. And there's a second layer of the scam involved. Somehow we think, hey, I'll feel my feelings, and that'll get rid of them. But you see how that change agenda really just makes it seem like it's not okay to feel bad? We don't need to feel our feelings to make them go away. We need to feel our feelings because that's how we really feel. So give yourself permission to feel exactly the way you feel. Do that little experiment, and I hope it turns out great. If it seems like it's helping, let me know. Email me at 420research at gmail.com. That's 420research at gmail.com. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Burning Issues. My continued gratitude to the Cannabis Radio Production Wizards and today's guest, Dan Veets of Missouri Normal. Dan's also at Show Me Cannabis and the National Normal Board, of course. And you can even catch him at danveets.com. That's D-A-N-V-I-E-T-S dot C-O-M. And check out his radio show, Sex, Drugs, and Civil Liberties, on KOPN 89.5 in Columbia, Missouri. We're going to be airing again next week. Please catch Burning Issues at CannabisRadio.com, iHeartRadio, iTunes, or anywhere where good podcasts flourish. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. 
follow your heart and let the data be your guide. opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.